Talking Birds. Made possible by the generous support of the Bird Watchers General Store, Route 6A, Orleans, Cape Cod. On the web at birdwatchersgeneralstore.com. By the Boston Harbor Island Alliance. Minutes away, worlds apart. Go to bostonharborislands.org for more information. Good morning. Welcome to our show, number 537. As we often do, we'll start off with an item from the Talking Birds email bag. We have a note from Lisa Whalen, who's a Ph.D. student at Virginia Tech. Go Hokies! She says in part, I have a song sparrow in my yard that's been banded twice. One on each leg. And she's attached a photograph. Why would a bird get banded twice? She says, it's very nice for us as we can always spot Bandy, as we call him. She says, my husband and I are new listeners and we love the show. Well, thank you, Lisa. And thank you for that question about a double-banded bird. And uh, we figured it had something to do with uh, making the bird more visible or, or something on the band more visible, but we weren't sure about that. So we contacted uh, one of the greatest experts about this that we know. That would be Trevor Lloyd Evans, who's director of the Land, uh, the, uh, land Bird Conservation Program at the world-famous Manomet Center for Conservation Science here in Massachusetts. And he said this, the double-banded song sparrow you mentioned is probably just what you suggest. Banders will put a band on one leg, tarsus, really, he notes, and for behavioral observations may put one or more color bands on the other leg. This enables the researcher to identify the individual bird without the disturbance and effort of catching it a second time. And Trevor adds this note, if you check our website, he says you will find that we have banded shorebirds in the Arctic through our shorebird recovery program and placed similar markers on the other leg with colors and even readable numbers or letters. Well, thank you, Trevor, for that. We're going to get Trevor on the show here again before too long. In the meantime, it is really worth uh, visiting their their website. They do some amazing, great work. They're one of those kind of under-the-radar organizations that uh, a lot of people don't know about, but they are doing the real serious uh, work on bird research and conservation, as many others are, of course, but uh, they're just a terrific group. Manomet.org is the web address it's a pretty easy one. It's sounds. It's spelled just the way it sounds. M A N O M E T. Menomet. dot org. Well, we have a little bit of a uh, a different conservation salute uh, this morning. A little backstory in March of 2014. The San Francisco Giants announced that they would be the first team in Major League Baseball history to construct an organic, edible garden at their home field, AT&T Park. In addition to offering what the Giants call a -a one-of-a-kind food experience, the garden serves as an outdoor classroom that encourages children to live healthier, more active lives. And this is good. Learn where food actually comes from and how it grows. 
Uh, but meanwhile, the San Diego Padres, who planted their own sustainable garden at Petco Park in 2012, took exception to the Giants' claim of being first, starting an argument that has come to be known as Gardengate. Oh, this isn't like Watergate or <clears throat> Spygate. This is a, a good gate. The claims and counterclaims between the Giants and Padres have generated enough publicity for fans to take notice of the two teams' greening efforts. And according to the Green Sports Alliance and the Natural Resources Defense Council, teams across North America are beginning to follow the Giants' and Padres' lead. Places like Coors Field in Colorado, home of the Rockies. Really nice. But what about here in New England? How about it, Red Sox? We do have a garden here in Boston, but it's for basketball and hockey, not fruits and veggies. How about a real garden at Fenway Park? We certainly haven't produced many long taters. Maybe we should focus on planting termaters. Anyway, a little Talking Birds conservation salute to the San Francisco Giants, the San Diego Padres, and the Colorado Rockies for their efforts to plant something green besides just grass. By the way, President Obama made the announcement of that celebration at Giants Field and offered some assurances to traditional food fans, saying even Michelle would say it's okay to have a hot dog once in a while, though. I don't want everybody to get carried away and think they have to have kale every time they go to the ballpark. Still to come on our show today, a new book called Dead in Good Company, all about a wonderful place known for its beauty and history and exceptional bird watching has been released. The place is Mount Auburn Cemetery, a.k.a. Sweet Auburn, and the book tells its story in words and fabulous photos. We'll talk to the book's editors this morning. Meanwhile, the ever-entertaining Mike O'Connor from the famous Birdwatcher's General Store on Cape Cod will be here to talk about red shoulders and red squirrels. As is our weekly want, we'll also give away a fabulous feeder from Droll Yankees in our Mystery Bird Contest. And just ahead next, an avian kleptoparasite is today's Talking Birds' featured feathered friend. Question. When is a hunter also a parasite? Answer. When its name is Stercorarius parasiticus, or the parasitic Jaeger. A relentless persecutor and tormentor of terns and smaller gulls, chasing them until they drop their food, which the Jaeger then catches in midair. This only works about a quarter of the time, though, so this avian kleptoparasite then has to find its own food. But don't pity him, it all seems to be working out, since the parasitic Jaeger outnumbers all other Jaegers around the world and is by far the most commonly seen in the waters off New England. This brown-bodied, dark-capped bird with a diamond-shaped tail is usually silent, but during migration does make this shrill sound, which gulls and terns may hear as, drop it. Parasitic Jaeger is a member of the Skua family. That word sounds like the name of that long pin thing used to hold meat in place while it's cooked. Right, a skewer. No doubt that's why our friend Sue McGrath from Newburyport Birders suggests that a group of these birds should be called a shish kebab of skewers.
the parasitic Jaeger, a.k.a. the Arctic Skua, a.k.a. the parasitic Skua, scientifically named Stercorarius parasiticus, and officially designated as today's Talking Birds featured feathered friend. Thanks again for being with us here on our show, number 537. By the way, we, we have to issue an apology here to the Red Sox because uh, we just got a call from someone saying that uh, the Red Sox do indeed have an organic garden at uh, Fenway Park. So uh, our, apologize, uh, our apologies to uh, the Red Sox. We're going to have to do a whole special feature now on their organic garden at Fenway Park. Thanks again for being with us. Our website address, TalkingBirds.com. Hope you'll visit. Good stuff to see there, and it's easy to listen to our show there anytime. Archived editions, and see how to listen live as well. And we hope you'll follow us on Facebook and Twitter and um, Instagram as well, at Talking Birds. And I see we've just gotten an email here now. Um, that's, uh, this is from Bill. He says, actually, <laughs> Ray, there is a garden at... Fenway doing quite well from what I've heard. San Francisco has nothing on us, says Bill. Thank you, Bill. All right, we are doubly straightened out here this morning. Well, if you're a resident of southern New England, or if you're a serious birder from just about anywhere, you probably know about a place that some call Sweet Auburn, straddling the Watertown-Cambridge line just outside of Boston. It's officially known as Mount Auburn Cemetery, and the new book about it is being released today. It's called Dead in Good Company, and its two editors are on the phone. I think they are. At least we think at least one of them, one of them is. We'll find out to tell us more about it. Kim Nagy and John Harrison. Good morning, Kim and John. That's the silence I was afraid we might we might hear. Could you give them a call again, Ryan, and see? Maybe we can get uh, at least John on the phone. They're having some difficulty. Uh, merging their calls, apparently. Um, but this book is uh, is coming out. We'll find out more about it. By the way, we have a lot of hummingbird fans certainly listening to Talking Birds, and hummingbird fans are kind of uh, everywhere. And our friend Cy Montgomery is going to be here with us on the show in a couple of weeks from now. She knows a lot about hummingbirds, including raising hummingbirds. She's had uh, some lengthy experience with that, and she is a, a, a marvelous guest who's been on the show with us before, and we're going to have uh, Cy Montgomery here on the show with us again very shortly. Uh, meanwhile, since we're talking a lot about the uh, Boston area today, some pretty amazing sightings that uh, we've seen being reported here in just a little bit, including one from Caroline Haynes up on the North Shore of Massachusetts, who was out in West Gloucester uh, this morning. I think, oh, this was yesterday morning where she saw seven immature little blue herons along with one adult plus great blue heron, green heron, pied-billed grebe, kingbird, tree swallows, catbird, and morning dove. Wow, what a, what a sighting. That's in West Gloucester, Massachusetts, up there on the North Shore. We're still trying to connect here with our friend John Harrison and Kim Nagy and... Um, Ryan is, is working the phones there, as they say, trying to make this connection happen. How are we doing, Ryan? Are we having any luck here? I'm getting a, I'm getting a thumbs down here. We could, can we hang up and call John again and see if we can get uh, maybe just uh, John uh, on, the, on the line here to talk about uh, 
this marvelous new book called Dead in Good Company. Here's another email we got. We're getting some interesting emails here in the last uh, couple of days. This is from Nancy uh, down in Mount Dora, Florida. She says, please develop an app for your show. It would be easier to access. That's a good point. And uh, if our associate producer, Debbie Bleacher, is, is listening, Debbie, we might have you do a, you know, you know, a financial assessment on this and uh, see if that's a, a practical thing for us to do. We have made our show easier to access, by the way, in uh, just the last uh, little bit, thanks to our new website. So it's uh, pretty easy to listen to our show. You just go to our website or just go to talkingbirds.com and uh, you'll see a listen button there and you just click on that. So it just takes a couple of clicks. But the uh, apps idea is uh, kind of interesting. Well, if we're not able to uh, contact or connect with uh, John and Kim right now, we might have to uh, shift our our, um, our focus here or shift our uh, schedule a little bit here and uh, move on to our, our famous uh, mystery bird contest. We still don't have John there, it looks like. All right, so uh, we'll go to our mystery bird contest, and that will be in just one minute. Right in Boston's backyard lies a magnificent resource where you can walk a Civil War-era fort, explore tide pools, and camp under the stars. Once known as the city's hidden gem, the Boston Harbor Islands National Park area has become the go-to urban escape for tourists and residents alike. It's a marvelous destination for birders, offering a huge variety of migrating and nesting species that can be viewed independently or during free ranger-guided bird walks on Saturday mornings. The islands are home to other wildlife, too, including deer, fox, coyote, rabbits, raccoons, muskrats, squirrels, and harbor seals. There are countless activities for non-birders as well, like hiking on miles of trails, sunny beaches, ocean fishing, concerts, beer tastings, and programs for the whole family. 34 islands, 3,000 acres, endless fun and exploration, all minutes from Boston. Find out more at bostonharborislands.org. Well, we've managed to connect with uh, one of our scheduled guests there. Kim Nagy is, uh, is, uh, is lost in Sweet Auburn. Yeah, that sounds familiar to me, but we've found John Harrison, who's uh, maybe out there at Mount Auburn right now. Good morning, John. Hello, John. Good morning, John. We, we were pretty sure you were, you were there. Uh, are you there, John? I think he was out there at Mount Auburn. Wait a minute. We're getting a, we're getting a frantic note written from uh, the other studio from our Mark Duffield. It says, he's calling us. All right. This is like being on a, a birding adventure, uh, trying to find an elusive bird and not having success immediately. But uh, John is, is going to be calling us. Well, uh, you know, I was going to say this about uh, Mount Auburn, um, about being in uh, southern New England. You probably uh, know about Mount Auburn Cemetery, or if you're a birder from just about anywhere, you would certainly know about this famous uh, destination. But uh, unless we can get John here, we can just uh, um, let you know this book is out. We talked to John uh, and Kim a while ago before the book uh, came out. It is, a, it is a remarkable book about Mount Auburn Cemetery. Um, that is such a special place that has been deemed worthy of a 320-page book and uh, that has compelled dozens of folks to write essays and poems about it. That's what the book is about. Um, 
not a book that you necessarily have to spend uh, all day reading. You can pick it up and read bits of it. Look at some of the fabulous photos that our friend Kim Nagy, in many cases, has taken, and John Harrison as well. Dead and Good Company is the name of the book. John Harrison and Kim Nagy are its editors, and it's now available in Kindle version. You can get it in Kindle on Amazon, and the print edition is ready for pre-order on Amazon. It's also available at a number of bookshops here in the Boston area. If we ever connect with John, we'll find out just where those are. Uh, Meanwhile, check it out on Amazon. So, Kim and John, congratulations on that book, and good luck. And good luck getting through to us on the phone here one of these times. All right, meanwhile, we'll move right on to uh, the Mystery Bird Contest. Talking Birds is made possible in part by the Cornell Lab of Ornithology, a world leader in the study, appreciation, and conservation of birds. Please check them out at birds.cornell.edu. That's birds.cornell.edu. By the way, you're eligible uh, on our Mystery Bird Contest if you haven't been a winner here on Talking Birds in the past six months. And if you're not hearing our show live... Well, you can still enter our Mystery Bird Contest because you can hear our show online, live, every week, no matter where you are, with just some kind of an Internet-connected device. Just go to TalkingBirds.com to see how to do that. It is very easy. Our prize this morning, this is one of the new feeders from Droll Yankees. This is a fabulous feeder. We have a nice picture of it on our Facebook page. It's the W1 Multipurpose Window Feeder. It features three powerful suction cups that attach it right to your window with open sides and clear construction that gives you a beautiful, unobstructed view right from your kitchen window. And this is a pretty big feeder, too. It holds a half pound of seed or fruit or suet or mealworms. That is our prize. The number is 781-837-4900. 781-837-4900. We urge you to call as soon as possible. Take a guess if you're not sure of the ID because a drawing will determine our winner in the event of only nearly correct answers. Here's the sound of our mystery bird. This will never be mistaken for a song sparrow or a wood thrush or a hermit thrush or a veery. It's a lot different. Our mystery bird is a medium-sized chicken-like marsh bird with a compact body, short tail, a long, slightly down-curved bill. It can be gray or reddish on the back with a buff or rusty brown breast and dull stripes on its flank. Our bird eats mostly crustaceans, but also small fish, insects, seeds, birds, and slugs. Yuck! Our bird breeds along the Atlantic coast from Massachusetts southward to Florida and around the Gulf of Mexico and along the Pacific coast from from central California all the way down to southern Mexico. This bird is everywhere, also up the Colorado River and in the Caribbean, Central America, both coasts of South America. What is it? That's our mystery bird. Take a guess if you don't know what it is. uh, Let us know what you think. 781-837-4900 is the number to call. 781-837-4900. Maybe we'll talk to John Harrison uh, real quickly before we we move on here. John, are you there? Okay. Things are going smoothly with our phone call situation here this morning. All right. Are you there, John? We're gonna. We we got a hello from John. Let's let's just savor that hello 
that we received from John there at Mount Auburn Cemetery. We seem to be having some major uh, telephone system problems here, but if we get it fixed, we'll uh, we'll get back to that. But in the meantime, we uh, we have this mystery bird contest happening here. So give us a call, tell us what you think the bird is, and win that beautiful Droll Yankees W1 multi-purpose window feeder. 781-837-4900 is the number to call. That's 781-837-4900. Meanwhile, Mike O'Connor is going to tell us about red shoulders and red squirrels. Let's ask Mike in just one minute. Right in Boston's backyard lies a magnificent resource where you can walk a Civil War-era fort, explore tide pools, and camp under the stars. Once known as the city's hidden gem, the Boston Harbor Islands National Park area has become the go-to urban escape for tourists and residents alike. It's a marvelous destination for birders, offering a huge variety of migrating and nesting species that can be viewed independently or during free ranger-guided bird walks on Saturday mornings. The islands are home to other wildlife, too, including deer, fox, coyote, rabbits, raccoons, muskrats, squirrels, and harbor seals. There are countless activities for non-birders as well, like hiking on miles of trails, sunny beaches, ocean fishing, concerts, beer tastings, and programs for the whole family. 34 islands, 3,000 acres, endless fun and exploration, all minutes from Boston. Find out more at bostonharborislands.org. Here comes this morning's Let's Ask Mike question, and good morning, Mike. Hey, good morning to you, Ray. Listen to this one. It says, uh, we have a red-shouldered hawk cruising our neighborhood. We have rabbits, chipmunks, squirrels, and our common bird fee- uh, feeder birds in our yard. What would he, referring to the sh- red-shouldered hawk, choose for his main entree? And, you know, I like the way they phrase that entree. That kind of gives the show a little <laughs> class, don't you think? Yeah, you know, it's chipmunks that are in trouble here. Most of the mammals uh, are the ones that the, the red shoulders looking at. Hmm. The, the, there's, a, there's some hawks that that, that, prey, uh, that, that specialize on um, on feeder birds, um, but the red tail, the red shoulders, um, not so much. These are your big beautios. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. Yeah, they'll go for the mice. They'll go for. They'll even eat snakes. And it's not they wouldn't take a bird. They would love to take a bird. Mm-hmm. But oftentimes they're not fast enough and to, to catch those. Yeah, yeah, right. Like you said, they're rather large birds, and they're not quick enough to, to grab one. So they're going to go for the small things: mice, uh, squ- certainly squirrels, certainly red squirrels, and chipmunks, and your, your songbirds. Although they'll keep an eye on them, they're not going to pose much of a threat. It's the Shopshin, the Cooper's hawks that are very fast and very agile and can chase down a songbird. But the red shoulder, you know, they're not nearly quick enough. So um, your chipmunks are in trouble, so you might want to get them a flak jacket or two. But that's that's the ones that's going to, you know, be more of a prey for a red shoulder hawk. But I think it's cool that you've got those. They seem to have pushed north in recent years, mm. and, and more and more people are reporting them, which is kind of cool. It's nice to see, you know, a little avian, avian diversity once in a while coming our way. So that's nice, cool. Nice to hear of a bird increasing instead of the other way yeah. around, for, yeah, sure. for sure. I'll take that. Very good, Mike, and we will talk to you next week. Yay! Yay. Got a question for Mike? We'll send it in. Uh, best way to do it is by email to Ray at TalkingBirds.com. That's Ray at TalkingBirds.com. Mike will answer the question for you. And just as a thank you gift for your sending in that question, we will send you a signed copy of Mike's amazing book, Why Do Bluebirds Get Headaches? That's kind of the sequel to his original uh, 
Did I say why do bluebirds get headaches? I got that a little bit uh, mixed up there. That was kind of an amalgam of the two books. Any talk about books today is causing us a lot of trouble here. I can see that. Uh, his original book was Why Do Woodpeckers Get Headaches? And his new book is Why Do Bluebirds Hate Me? Uh, because despite Mike's best efforts and efforts and considerable skill, he has not been able to attract bluebirds to his property. Just didn't have the right environment there for it. But the, the book has all kinds of great answers to all your birding questions and uh, you can uh, get them answered or get one of them answered anyway by sending that question to Mike to Ray at TalkinBirds.com. No G in Talkin. We're going to try to get back here to the Mystery Bird Contest. We have some callers on the line. We have our friend John Harrison on the line somewhere. We've got everybody on the line, but we're we're not seeming to be able to get them. Um, we even have Kim Nagy on the line, it says here. But I'm not sure. Uh, are, are, are phone lines working? That would be the, the big... Uh, the big question here. Let's uh, let's find out if they uh, are indeed working in any uh, sense here. Uh, good morning. Is anyone there? Hello. Yes. Hello. That sounds like, uh, that sounds like uh, Kim, oh, the same but we, thing. We're having that same uh, kind of a flying saucer effect. There's a big story in the this week about virtual reality, and I don't know if that's perhaps we have entered that uh, in honor of that uh, this week's edition. Uh, of Time Magazine. Uh, in any case, uh, we're going to try to move to another call. Let's try Dave, who's calling us from Hillsboro, North Carolina. And the good news is that so far, I don't hear that weird noise going on. Are you there, Dave? We hello, don't have... hello. There he is. We've got Dave. He's right well, there. Well, no, actually, you have Jeff. We have Jeff. All right. Yes, well, that... don't know how that happened. It's Jeff from Alston. We don't know how anything is happening here this morning, Jeff, but... Uh... Anyway, we're glad to, to have you, and uh, thank you for calling. Uh, where are we? We're on the Mystery Bird Contest. So you heard uh, some of the clues there, Jeff, and you heard the sound of the Mystery Bird. Um, what would you say that uh, bird is? I'm going to take a wild guess. Is it a king rail? A king rail. Uh, that is not as wild as a, a guess as you might uh, think, Jeff. That is actually what we like to uh, characterize as a top-quality guess. But it's not exactly correct, though. Okay, right. try next week. Try us again, Jeff. All right. Okay, bye-bye. Okay, all right. Thank you, Jeff. Bye-bye. And we are going to try to get another call through here. This is our official technical Hello. difficulty part of our program. Hello. Hello. Hi. Is this Kim? Yes, it is. Well, Kim, you're, uh, you seem to be calling us on a double purpose here. Uh, no, I was, I was just calling for the mystery bird, and I didn't think <laughs> that the, um, you know, working out with John... Okay. Okay. So, All right. Well, tell us what you think the mystery bird is. A Sora. A Sora. <clears throat> Another no. top quality guess, but not exactly correct. Thank you very much, Kim. Hey, why don't you tell us about uh, the book while you're while you're at it? I mean, we can't get much crazier than it is right now this morning. No, that's true. I, yeah. I, I'm sorry, I, I can't provide the flying saucers like John could, but maybe um, I could explain the book. All right, well, it's called Dead um, yeah, in Good Company. You've taken a lot of the pictures here, and there are all kinds of things to photograph in Mount Auburn, either or not. Yes, I mean, one of the things that we really wanted to portray was the fact that it's a place of life and not only one of Massachusetts' most important bird destinations mm -hmm. for migratory birds, but it's like an urban wildlife center in many ways. And we have so many different animals, lots of mammals, fox, well, not, not recently, coyote, mm -hmm. raccoons, muskrats, 
obviously squirrels and chipmunks, numerous other species, rabbits, et cetera, et cetera, mm-hmm. plus uh, the migratory birds that come every year. Dead and Good Company is the book. It's on Amazon for Kindle now and for pre-order as well. And we find out about the local bookshops. We'll get that on too. But we're running out of time. Kim, thank you so much. Sure, thank you. <laughs> All right. Let's see. Um, uh, did we ever get Dave from uh, down in uh, Hillsboro, North Carolina? Oh, we'll try one more time and see if we can get Dave calling us from uh, Hillsboro. Good morning, Dave. Are you there? Yes, I am. Wow. I got a round of applause. Well, let's get some official applause for Dave for getting through to us here. Hey, sorry about all that technical difficulty, Dave, but uh, thanks for hanging in there. Okay. How about, a, how about a guess on our mystery bird? How about a clapper rail? I think you I think you got it. Wow. That was worth waiting for. Dave, nice job. A clapper rail is exactly correct. I imagine you have a few of them uh, hanging around there in the Hillsboro, North Carolina area, do you? I haven't been there lately, so I don't know. Oh, where are you now? I'm up in Boston. Oh, you're in Boston. <laughs> okay, well, that fits in with the pattern of today. Uh, Dave, uh, stay on the line. We'll find out some address to send you this Droll Yankees feeder, and congratulations. Okay, thank you. All right. Well, that's our show. It's one to remember. Thank you so much for being with us. Don't forget, uh, a week, uh, two weeks from now, um, we're going to have our friend Cy Montgomery here talking about hummingbirds. She is just wonderful. Don't miss that show. The executive producer of Talking Birds. Talking Birds is Mark Duffield. Our associate producer is um, Debbie Bleacher. Our engineer is Ryan Stanton. I'm Ray Brown. We'll see you next week. Ray Brown's Talking Birds. Made possible by the generous support of the Bird Watchers General Store, Route 6A, Orleans, Cape Cod. By the Boston Harbor Island Alliance. Minutes away, worlds apart. Ray Brown's Talking Birds, I love that show.